Can, can you please make a joke about them? I would like to hear it. That was an example. Uh, <laughs> I know. <laughs> would have been funny if you had one, though. But <laughs> um, here's a joke about tomatoes. There we go. Okay. What is more red than a tomato in a trash can? Ha! I can't wait for the reply. Come on. That must be a bummer. <laughs> Two tomatoes in a trash can. <laughs> <laughs> oh, in, in Germany, we, we would say, okay, please, 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 please. Put your feet up. The joke is coming low. Put your feet up. The joke is coming low. <laughs> yeah, What a, a bad joke is like a, a, a Flachwitz, a low-coming joke. <laughs> But hey, I giggled. <laughs> The following podcast is not advisable to listen to because it discusses poverty and a lot of serious things like tap water and dating Pablo Picasso. If you are listening to this and if you get upset about anything we discuss in here, just know that uh, this is a fictional creation. The hosts are just interested in nonsensical Deliberations. Kill the intro music. Dun, 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 dun. I have a deep and dark and everlasting dislike of your people. And I wanted you to represent your entire people <laughs> and your entire history. <laughs> And be the... <laughs> my entire history. Oh, my yeah, word. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Just uh, be the representative for your people. Can you tell the listeners, and the last time I checked, there was only like 72 of them. Um, can you tell the listeners why your people keep committing such atrocities over and over again? Please, go ahead. <laughs> In... In 30 seconds. In 30 seconds. No, I will ask a question back. I will ask you, Diane, when was the last time you visited Germany? I, I was never in Germany. I have never been to the lands of... <laughs> the, the blatant so, lands of so disaster. You, you, no, 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 no. <laughs> Funny way of calling it. I'm just wondering, like, where does repetition come from? What did we do um, to you in the past 28 years? Wait, 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 wait. We did things wait, to the world, wait, but wait, 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 <laughs> like, wait, how does it affect you? A white European colonist asking me, a child of the soil of Africa, how I have been affected by um, the nation at, that is, what do you call yourselves? The motherland? The mutherland? What, uh, please, what, what do you call yourselves? Don't you Fatherland. It's the father's land. Um, but it's no, a, no, no, no. Actually, Say that it, clearly into the microphone with all the German inside you. <laughs> yeah. It's even in the, in the national anthem. It's Vaterland. But don't ask me where it's coming from, actually. Um, my history knowledge is, is lacking a bit. But interesting is um, what you did um, to bring up colonialism with us Germans, because we are very good at telling ourselves 
what terrible things we did during World War II. But we are sort of forgetting about the colonialism, um, which we are responsible for. And I mean, it's not that it hasn't come up in my history lessons in school, but, you know, very limited. Um, and I don't think the general population is like very much aware of, um, of what was going on. I mean, people know about it, yeah, but, well, we haven't been taught properly. And I think that's a bit of an issue. So I hear you. Um, I would just like you to understand that um, if I had a penny for every single time a white man, uh, whether of European or other descent, has told me, what did my people ever do to you personally, or etc., etc., or that whole, it's not my fault, I personally didn't do anything, I would have many, many pennies. Um, and I think it's a natural reaction. You know, the two of us are just kidding in this conversation, but it's a, it's a natural reaction of individuals to seek to be blameless for the things that they are. The political narrative of the self is not something you can wipe away. You didn't just show up as uh, Dennis Rothmeyer. I love saying your surname. Um, you didn't just come into existence. I used to do this a lot when I was... 20 years old and naive when uh, I first heard the concept of men are trash and I felt like, wow, I didn't do anything trash today or last week. What, what do you even mean? But uh, coming to terms with the narrative of the self is uh, it's a journey. And uh, to answer your question, what in the last 28 years, by the way, I'm 27, I'm still a young man. What haven't they done to me, <laughs> sir? <laughs> no, no, no. Like it's 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 valid points which you are making, and um, it's indeed a a difficult um, uh, um, let me let me call it a difficult situation because well, I mean, obviously, there's a bit of a truth in both sides, right? Like if if I say well, like I haven't colonized anyone, sure, I mean that's true, but if I don't, if I totally ignore the fact that I'm benefiting from what happened in the past. That's not right as well. Um, it's like you said, you know, I just didn't come into existence as the one who I am. I came into existence being born in a rich country, which is rich for different reasons. What's it like? Yeah. And being ignorant about the past is being ignorant about your own existence, I guess. So it is an important question to raise, and it's an important question to, to ask, okay, like how... How do we have to navigate through this world, like where we have such different backgrounds and where we are being born in different countries and different societies and different cultures and um, where we have to think about what happened in the past in the space where I grew up? Um, what did my ancestors do? You know, like it's it's valid questions and um, whatever you make out of it in our lives now, um, that's what it can influence and being ignorant about it and asking these questions, um, which you just mentioned, you, you uh, if, if you get a penny for each time you hear it, you, you, you would be rich. Um, well, those phrases don't help, right? Um, even though I just made one by myself. Um, so yeah, I think it's a. And, uh, and we have to we have to do all these navigation and introspection while also just cleaning the dishes and working and paying the rent. I mean, I know wealthy landowners such as yourself don't actually pay rent but you know what i mean <laughs> you know what i mean right it's like um you can't just commit yourself to a journey of introspection independent of the day-to-day -day. i have to cook clean 
and uh, you know plan next weekend it is uh, not just like a one off thing where you're supposed to meditate and then become a better person because we are not going to heal the world by having these conversations but i think it is worth just over the course of our lives contributing to a consciousness where um it's not strange when you have the expectation that a human being from a certain walk of life has a certain understanding it's like so much mental effort to like oh you you on your journey let me explain all of this to you no one wants to be your teacher right like and i know you're not on that point of your journey you have um, you living with most of the time 90% of the year with someone that is a little bit uh, informed that can uh, give you some knowledge shout out shout out that person that's listening <laughs> the person you're talking about is is and it's actually a, a perfect moment to mention her because i was just thinking about something what what happened what are we gonna call her um her name is uh, let's her name is you can pick one um i don't mind i i don't, I don't want to pick a different name You must pick it. Fictional names is the whole reason I made this podcast. <laughs> um, in episode one and two, we came up with so many fictional names, um, and I need to start making a catalog because sometimes I refer back to them. Um, so this is going to be her name in the fictional world of nonsensical deliberations forever, right? All right, you pick one. And her name is going to be. Uh, uh, <laughs> there the, are the too many names to pick from <laughs> yeah yeah this is difficult coming up with a name is crazy like you know when you have to name a kid and you're just naming a person I'm so anxious now because I'm naming a fictional person but imagine having to really name someone Ugh. I know there's lots of complications when you have children and maybe later we can talk about children but um, it's crazy to name someone I'm gonna go with Pablo Can we go with Pablo? Pablo. <laughs> That's funny. Okay, all right. Um, so yeah, back to... Wait, do you, you have any problems with the name Pablo? Not at all. It's just uh, not what I expected, you know. Is there something wrong with having a... <laughs> it, it came out of the nowhere because, I mean, obviously she is South African and Pablo is such a Spanish name, so a Spanish-Mexican name or whatever. Know? I don't know. No, you never know. Do you know the proportion of Spanish people in South Africa? You don't. Tell me the percentage. Tell me I now. It's a wild guess. I'd say 0.2. Okay, I'm searching. I'm searching that right now. If you <laughs> yeah, please hey, have a, have a fact check afterwards. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, I'm, search, I'm searching that right now because then we will know if you are an informed <laughs> resident. How long have you been living in South Africa? Tell me. Well, that has been quite some time. 2016. Percentage of Spanish people in South Africa. If you, you've been living in South Africa for six years, coming from the European lands, settling in our nation, yeah. and you don't even know how many Spanish people is in South Africa. <laughs> I'm actually ashamed. I thought we were friends. I actually thought I knew you. 
The reason why I wanted to speak to you today is because I thought we could have an honest... Hey, hang, hang on a second. What was your guess? Um, what was your guess about the percentage? Did you Google already? Do you know? Or what was your guess? My guess... Hmm. I'm not stalling or anything. I'm just, I'm just waiting for Wikipedia to load. <laughs> <laughs> Wikipedia is blocked in China. <laughs> oh, let me Google it. Um... It's actually, it's probably low. There's no Spanish people in South Africa. Bro. Portuguese, I would expect, is much more because of that Dagama guy. But Spanish people? I have never heard about a ship of Spain entering South African harbors in those ugly days in the past. Yeah, but Vasco da Gama didn't settle. He just visited. Yeah. Um, but still there's a soccer club called like Vasco da Gama and there's like a Vasco da Gama thingy at the Cape Point Nature Reserve. So you, you see something, you know, you see Portuguese restaurants. Um, but Spanish? Hmm? Didn't come across much of um, Spanish landmarks? I would just like to say for the record, if anyone's listening to this in five years, um, I support all people all over the world, and it is Dennis, not I, that is confusing uh, the different ethnicities that are unique and different and uh, special, and I would like to absolve myself from uh, this uh, Google search. Well, I actually can't even find anything, um, to be honest. So, Demographics, they just say... African colored white Indian Asian. Yeah, that's sounds very South African, eh? Yeah, to have this classification. Diane, while while we talk about it, um, I assume it won't only be South Africans listening to you to this, and I'm not sure if everyone is familiarized with um, the term colored. Isn't that a very South African thing? Uh, yes. Statistics-wise, 60% of our listeners are from Korea, and I would guess mostly expats, and a significant proportion of them would be from Europe and America, and they would not know me just casually using the word colored. It would sound a little bit um, um, bad. Yeah, that's that's also what what I think what could happen. You know, if someone doesn't know, this is like a very established and accepted term in South African language culture. Yeah, like, yeah, it's on the it's like, on the forms. Um, you you would possibly think about it and saying, wait, what are they talking about? Like, is that right? But just for the record, it is in a South African context. So there's four racial groups in South Africa. There's a whole lot, actually. But in terms of enough people to make the statistics for Stats SA and for banking forms, when people are of quote-unquote African descent, and that's 80% of the population, and additionally, within this community, there's a wide variety of different cultural differences. But they are black people in South Africa. Now, the second most populous group is people known as colored uh, almost predominantly associated with the Western Cape. And those are people that look like me. And in the world, in America, in Europe, and in most of the world, um, they would know us as black, or they would know us as uh, mixed-race people. But in South Africa, it's different because of apartheid and uh, things before and even after then. A long time ago, 
they were mixed race people. The children of black and white people looking mixed race, or the children of other races, there's like a Malaysian community and an Indian community. Anyone mixed race would be mixed race. But when this happens for many generations, um, eventually your parents are both mixed race and the offspring of the grandchildren are mixed. No one in their immediate family, three, four, five generations, there isn't an immediate where the mixedness comes from. There isn't a, oh yeah, I'm mixed race because my mom's this and my dad's this or whatever. People are just a new race now because of how people were separated and the policies that were implemented. And even though we don't do the whole apartheid thing anymore, new culture has emerged out of this. Bukup, Cape Flats, Western Cape, etc. And uh, that's how the word colored has come to mean something else in South Africa. Um, it does not refer to black people. In fact, um, in many communities in South Africa, if I refer to myself as black, I'd be corrected because I would not be known as black. Um, and as a side note, I do a little bit of uh, music making and in the hip hop I make, sometimes it would be prudent to use the N word because it would go with the flow. But I almost find myself avoiding it because of the ambiguities of what it means to be black where I come from. And yeah, so, so, so colored is a word in South Africa that doesn't mean what it means everywhere else. And hopefully I'll edit that whole speech to be a 30 second sound bite that doesn't get me canceled. Um, but yeah, things are different in South Africa. I think that might have been just a very informative part of the conversation for for some listeners um, because it's very unique. And if you're not familiar with the environment, then that's new. And I found it quite interesting the first time someone explained it to me. Yeah, in Europe, you don't have that thing. Eh? No, you, you, you don't think in three or four terms of, eth of ethnicities. Yeah. yeah, you just have Germans and all the people that don't belong there. Uh, for, yeah. <laughs> Is this why you left Europe? You were tired of the rise of the right wing and you thought, I'm going to leave Europe and go to Africa. <laughs> no, that's not why I left um, because I believe good people have to stay to make it better. Um, no, I, I left for love. First time I went to Cape Town was just for an internship for six months. How old were you? But how old was I? Yo? Good question. This was in 2015. I was born 93. So... Ah, you were a you were a young man of forty seven. <laughs> um, just just a little <laughs> younger, yeah. But <laughs> back in the day, um, I was in in my early twenties. Um, was twenty two, I think. Yeah, uh, I just saw an ad online. To be honest, uh, for an internship in South Africa, my English was very crapped. I mean, you can still hear my accent, but you noticed that nowadays I can talk. But during those days, conversation was difficult and. So I saw this ad and I was like, you know what, Dennis, it's now or never. If you now leave university, if you start walking in Germany, you will never learn English, right? Learn how to speak it properly. Um, 
so yeah, then I just left and I ended up in, in, in Cape Town for half of a year. Oh, and during those days, I happened to come across my girlfriend, who we named Pablo early on um, in this conversation. What, what is your internship, by the way? What did you come to? I went to a soccer school. Um, well, they called it internship, but let's be honest, it was rather volunteering. Um, so I was just on the soccer pitch all day long, um, coaching kids and playing soccer. Which area was this in Cape Town? That was Somerset West, so it's not really Cape Town, but it's part of Cape Town. It's just um, just a bit out of the real city. So you go to Somerset West, you play some soccer with kids, you take some selfies for your Instagram. Very nice, very cute. Actually, no, definitely not, because I hate that. I hate those volunteers taking selfies for themselves. That's not me. Ah, okay. I thought I was going to trick you into exposing how you went to Africa to volunteer for the children. <laughs> you sneaky little thing, you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I did it for the love of soccer and I did it um, to improve my English. And I always loved to be around kids. Um, so that was just a good environment to be in. You, you, you wanted to coach soccer at one point, right? I think you still want to. Well, my dream is... To have a soccer school of my own at one point, um, but that's for in 10 years or something. Yeah, We can talk again then, whether I just talked or whether this was real. But I hope it will work out. Okay, I will, I will, I will timestamp it and put a reminder <laughs> in my calendar to check in with you if you um, have the Rottermeier School of um, Pablo Picasso. Yeah, it will definitely be caught like <laughs> <No>. that. <laughs> I just saw like um, an article somewhere in Germany, they are pumping water and then the, the bottle of water they are selling for like um, 15,000 the time what they pay for the groundwater. <laughs> like it's insane. And yes, you're right. I drink that shit occasionally. I actually have an idea in my sandbox. Idea sandbox. I have like a million ideas for projects. You think I do too much things these days? I have so many like project sandboxes. And one of the things I wanted to try out is starting this brand called Tap. You're, you're feeling tap what? You're selling it and you're donating it for a good reason? No, 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 no. no. I'm just making profit. <laughs> so I would be putting tap water into bottles right and then you call it mountain water or what <laughs> no 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 no. i'm not being secret about it on the bottle it would say tap, tap water, water. <laughs> like <laughs> i actually like the idea people will fucking buy it i'm telling you yeah they will you put shit in a bottle you call it tap and you have like a logo that looks nice and then at the back of it, you're saying, this is tap water. We got it from the tap, bottled it, and gave it to you. Like, no no secret shit, right? Yeah. But I'm telling you, people will buy yeah, that shit. Definitely, they will. And if you go to a restaurant and someone says, can I have some tap water? <laughs> They're the, being charged the $5. Dollars. <laughs> owner, they just come to you and they open it. And you know, once the water's open, then you have to pay for it, right? And now if you want a date, you, you can't say, oh, no, I meant actual tap water. No, you said tap water. Are you, are you going to argue? No, you're just going to pay 10 rand for this, this uh, bottle of tap. I'm telling you, people will be annoyed a little bit. <laughs> but this is a company that with very little effort makes 17 million rand a year in revenue. 
and like after all the expenses you you walk away with uh, half a million rand in uh, pure profit you know the thing is the thing is um that's different reasons why people buy water in the supermarket for example right um but me for myself i only buy water in the supermarket if i just really need water right now yes and then it doesn't matter if it's mountain water some glacier water being shipped from 10,000 kilometers or some tap water. You know, it doesn't matter. You don't care. You, you buy the cheapest one, right? Yeah. If someone sold me tap water in the supermarket, mm. well, why not? Water is water, you know? Like, I don't care. I actually would buy it. If I know this is tap water filled around the corner, um, cheaper than the rest, it's the best option even. There's a market for people that are just on the go. They don't have a container. They just want some water. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. not about the special. We got this from the, the river of magical tears of Zeus. No, no one cares. They just want water. But I'll tell you one thing, hey. Tap water is drinkable in South Africa. And it's sort of normal because the mm. quality of water in South Africa is very high. But uh, in the countries I've lived in in the past bunch of years, in Korea and in China, drinking the tap water is not a thing. It's not even an option. Like, in places in Korea, you can drink the tap water, says the government, but it's not advisable, says the people. <laughs> and I don't know if it's just like urban legend or whatever, But um, I drank the water out of the tap in my first couple of weeks in Korea <laughs> oh, no, because hey? I just was used to oh. drinking the water from South Africa. And I got so sick. So, like, this is, um, this is not a research paper, right? Basically, it is. This is just an anecdote. It would be interesting to see, you know, if you ask people around the world, like, what do you think? Like, would you go to South Africa and drink tap water, yes or no? Would you go to South Korea and drink tap water, yes or no? I, I would be interested, like, what the responses would be. Like, <laughs> People would expect uh, Korea to have better water because it's, like, technologically advanced. But I'm telling you, the water in South Africa is divine. Yeah, I, I know. I, I drink it all day. Like, it's tap water only at home. Like, I... They don't buy water for home. Like, it doesn't make sense. Like, A, why would I spend if it's for free? B, it's not better in the bottle. C, I don't need sparkling water. And D, I avoid plastic. So, it just makes sense to have tap water. People that drink sparkling water... I'm German. I'm not drinking sparkling water. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, eh? Germans love it, but I, I quit. Let's just have a moment for everyone that uh, drinks sparkling water. If you are sitting in your kitchen, or standing in your kitchen, or sitting in your living room, or driving your car, and you are a person that sometimes, or even just semi-regularly, drinks uh, sparkling water, and you do not immediately want to spit it all out, <laughs> what's wrong with you? Why are you a bad person? Why do you do this to the world? And Just think about all the decisions that you are making in your life that has led up to the moment that you are a, a, a casual, sparkling water drinker. Uh, thank you for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> <laughs> We've been having a lot of tangents. We got to the point where we said that, uh, number one, you went for an internship to play soccer with little kids. Number two, you 
met someone. Well, when I was done with the internship, I actually went back to Europe, did another internship in Switzerland, finished my studies, wrote a bachelor thesis, and after all of that was sorted, um, my girlfriend was a bit more than a year. So you and your girlfriend had a long-distance relationship for one year? Yeah, basically. Holy crap! I came to visit her again after six months for one month, and then she came to visit me here for one month, but it was a full year and a bit of, of long distance, yeah. I'm sure the entire year apart was just all um, roses and peaches, right? It was so smooth sailing and everything was fine. Well, the, the thing is, it's just it just worked out, you know. It was a flipping long time, but if if two people are sure about each other, then you know you will manage. And we had those two visits, you know, where we saw each other for another month, which was reassuring. And um, I still remember the uh, the time when I came back after six months to visit her. This is when I when I started googling like jobs for Germans in Cape Town because I realized okay, it's difficult to get a visa, so something. What could get me in is to get a specific job which gives you a visa. And from that on, you know, like we, we had a plan. Like I applied, I got a job and through the job I got a visa. So back to your, um, to your, um, initial term of <laughs> me. Um, let me laugh a bit about it as a, as a colonialist arriving. Well, in this case, I was invited. Oh, you were invited. <laughs> That's why I said, you know, early on my first internship, my sneaky thing with a tourism visa and blah, blah. And, you know, sneaky, not correct. But if you get a visa, you're invited. Um, so you got so, a tourist visa for six months in South Africa? Well, you get it for three months, but you can extend it for another three. That's your maximum. I'm not sure if it's still the same, but during those days, that was the case. Jeez, I don't think I could go to Germany for three months and then extend it for another three. No ways. My previous experience with Schengen um, visa processes. Oh, Schengen is, is hell, hey. Oof. They will say uh, Africans are here for a limited amount of time. Uh, the, I, I remember I, uh, like when my girlfriend came to visit. Pablo. <laughs> yes. Uh, her. Um, yeah, we had to lock away a certain amount of money. I think it was 50 euros per day or something, like which was blocked away on a bank account, inaccessible for us, just as security. And I had to sign something which was basically saying, whatever she does, I will pay for it. If she doesn't leave the country and if they have to come to search for her, I will pay for the search. <laughs> if she is at hospital and if her insurance doesn't cover it, and if she can't pay for it, I will pay for it. So, like, it was crazy. It is a crazy mistrust in the people coming to visit you. Whether it is legit or not, let's leave that to someone else. But it is a crazy mistrust in in people who want to come to visit you well i'll tell you that is a very selective mistrust and the other way around it's not like that i i arrive at cape town show my passport they ask me what's your purpose of staying visiting two seconds later i got a stamp in my passport saying you're welcome for three months no that's with no prior application no prior application nothing it's insane yes fuck uh. And the other way around, it's just a, a whole big mess and rocks in your way. And it makes you feel unwelcome. It really does. Well, it's because you are unwelcome. <laughs> that's yeah, well, that's basically what, what it says at the end of the day, yeah. And that's something which is often very new to us Europeans, you know? That a country says, 
No, you, you, you can't just come. I'm going to Cape Town next month. Um, but actually, my plan at the beginning, well, I was going to be in France via Schengen visa. Mm, you mentioned that. Yeah, I remember. And the reason why I'm not going to France is because, you know, the visa process was just too much. Yeah, it's, it's tedious. It's insane. That's obviously the only reason I'm not going to Europe anymore. <laughs> Couldn't think of any other reason why I would not be visiting the Bastille <laughs> and the Eiffel Tower and all of that. Apparently, it's possible to have a long-distance relationship for a year and for that to actually work out. Tell me, how did you make that? <laughs> I just actually... Was there good communication? Was there assurances of feelings? Like, how did you make the impossible possible? Do, do you know what the most important thing is? The most important thing is to meet the right person. It only works with the right person. If you are not 100% convinced, I guess it's difficult. For us, it was the easiest thing ever because we knew this is it. I'm sorry, bro, but like this is where we disagree. There's no such thing as a soulmate. No, I, no, I, I didn't. I, no, like there's no human being that is quote unquote the right person for you. <laughs> I, I don't want to talk about soulmates, but you know, if if you're like so confident about a person, but, but yeah, but maybe you're right. People have been confident and and it failed. Um, it's just you know, from from my mind, from my experience, we were confident and it worked out. I think it's a virtuous cycle. You're confident about the person, so you put the effort in all the things that a relationship needs, and then that makes you more confident, and then continue and continue and continue. It's like, we are making it work, and so that I'm more sure about it, and do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's not mm. just, snap your fingers, I've found the right person. I know what you mean when you say the right person, but the words, the right person, sounds like it's a lottery. You and Pablo are not living together and prosperous now because you swiped on Tinder and found the magical person. This is not the case. There is a set of things that each person needs in their forever person. However, on top of that, there's a set of things that you need to do. It's the actions. It's the everyday small communications of love and whatever you know, different people need different things. But it's not, I found the right person, I realized it, boom. Well, I mean, we, 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 we could say, like, if, if we talk about the right person, it's um, compatibility. 1,000%. I think one thing where we're very compatible is, you know, like when we entered this long-distance relationship, that we didn't, like, have any rules like how this has to work out. We are good communicators. We can talk. Like there's no, there's no need to speak every single evening. There's like no need to say we have to have that phone call every single evening. You know, sometimes we didn't speak for a full week, maybe even more. Yeah. Um, but when we needed to talk, we, t we, we did. I'm sorry. I'm just spiraling when you were like, don't have any rules. Not like you're bringing up fresh trauma or anything. Please continue. I'm having a wonderful time. <laughs> yeah, but I, what I wanted to say is, you know, like we gave each other a commitment, but we also gave each other freedom yeah, to live our own lives while we are far away from each other. Um, that was one important thing. And then on the later stage, having a real plan. I mean, we are talking about a whole year. When I started Googling this German, uh, Jobs for Germans in Cape Town, like an actual plan developed. 
and we saw an end of the tunnel. From this time on, well, it was just like, let's get our things done. She was busy studying, I was busy studying, she was busy living her life, I was busy living her life, and we just flippin' looked forward to this time when they can make it happen. And so we did. I think that might be the thing, right? Like, having a real, realistic outlook of making it happen. I think that's very important. Because if you don't have that, you probably will stop believing, even though it might have been, let me say again the word, the right person. With the confidence of, of having found the person who you definitely want to live with. I say it's it's an easy mission, hey? But you have to have that realistic outlook, which is maybe a struggle for many people. Um, because borders, politics, laws, visas, you know, like all of that, there are rocks which can be thrown in your way. For me, the struggle was to leave family and friends behind. But it was made easy because I wasn't at home, at home home, for quite some time. Because I'm from South Germany, I studied in North Germany. So I already left home. I already left my family. When I was at university in Germany, I come home two times per year for the long holidays. You know, it already was like that, that I'm not at home, that I just come to visit. I already had done that. The friends I made from university, it was clear anyways. We are done studying. We'll be, we will be spread around the whole of Germany. Mm -hmm. You know, like, so what did I actually leave? I, I already left it. So for me, it was an easy step. Yeah, it sounds like a crazy one to fly 10,000 kilometers to the south of the globe if I'm from the north of the globe. But it wasn't that much of a big step, people would assume. Because I was already gone and I just wanted to be with uh, with the person I love. So The difference is now just mental because you went from 400 kilometers away from your hometown to 10,000. It's arbitrary. The thing is, it's monetary. Because if I take a train from North Germany to South Germany for 10 hours, or if I take a plane from Cape Town to Frankfurt 10 hours, that's the same. Okay, okay, okay. But it's the money going into it. Yeah. Um, so you think twice before booking your airplane. If I was insanely rich, <laughs> who cares? I would possibly fly every two months. I thought all white people were insanely rich. Well, insanely rich is a matter of definition. Right. Some people might say, if you can fly around the globe, you are insanely rich. Let me just tell you one thing. I am insanely rich. <laughs> it's like... Yes. <laughs> uh, like... Compared to most of the people on the planet. Yeah. It's crazy that I can afford a week's worth of food without blinking an eye or even really making an effort. Yeah. I'm not trying to flex. I'm just talking about a week's worth of food. It's not, it's not, it's not fascinating. It's not bragging. It's just like the fact that we can do that is insane. Like. Diane. Don't answer this question if you if you don't want. If you say it's a shitty question, just just skip it. But did you ever experience real hunger? I'm not talking about I'm hungry and need a cheeseburger. I'm talking about I'm hungry and I don't see a way of getting food. Oh yes. Oh, I come from the dirt of Africa, my friend. I mean. Okay, so to say that, there's levels to that. There's poverty and then there's super poverty and then there's, you yeah, know, absolutely. growing up yeah. in a country where there's no food in your village. So there's levels, right? But um, growing up in the Cape Flats, shout out Silvertown, that is not a joke, hey? Hmm. 
sometimes there's periods of uh, more money and less money. You go through some cycles, but um, you feel the poverty. You feel the food insecurity. And yeah, there has definitely been moments. So you know the difference between insanely rich and this, and I don't. Oh, I see what you're getting at here. This has never not been an option for you. In my whole life, like, there was never a moment at which I was hungry with no outlook of getting food within the next whatever minutes. Like, like there always has been an option. That's crazy. You saying that? It's just a fact. It's easy to forget. It's, it's just a simple fact. And this is not bad. It's, it's like no one should have food insecurities. Yeah, abs absolutely, yeah. That's just a emphasis in the reminder of the different uh, upbringings we have had. I was alluding to this, like, I had a long-distance relationship with a European that didn't work out, and you are a European that had a long-distance relationship with a South African that did work out, and I was trying to both comically and seriously looking for allegories in our lives. But if there's one thing that is a stark difference between you and I, Dennis, and that is I know what it's like to be hungry and poor and embarrassed about mm. it. And this is an experience that I can describe to you, but this is something that has shaped me and the things that I do in a way that I think that you can never... Understand. Actually understand. Yeah. I, I also believe that. I also believe that. Yeah. And I don't want to understand it. I mean, well... I mean, That's a silly sentence. I, I want, I would like to understand it, but you know, I, I know that to understand it, you have to be in this moment. So I, this is why I don't. But you want don't want to experience yeah. it. I don't. I don't. I don't wish that. I don't wish that for anyone. Exactly. Yeah. Hmm. When the tray of eggs run up two or three days before the next source of income comes, you are just having some bread or rice or whatever until the food is made possible again. And you still have to go to school the next day and you still have to... Mm. I remember these poverty jokes we would have in the house because we knew that we were poor, but you sort of find comfort into making jokes. Mm. My grandma would always joke about how our plain... Jungle Oats, if it was Jungle Oats, this is probably some ShopRite off-brand. She would make up flavors for it and we would just like be having Jungle Oats for dinner because that's towards the end of the month what we have access to. It's about how it's actually strawberry flavored mm. or whatever. It's, it's an interesting psychological trick, you could say, isn't it? Yeah. You know, to, to, to acknowledge the situation, but instead of beating you up even more by telling yourself every single day how bad everything is, you make a joke about it and you make the situation a bit better and your brain has, you know, some positivity in it. Um, maybe that's a psychological trick which works out quite well. I don't know. Um, you know better. What's that? Oh, I'm hearing from the producers. Yes, they're um, showing me a sign. They're letting me know that I need to let um, all the listeners know that this podcast is brought to you by poverty. Poverty. 
It causes you to be hungry and it causes you to have lots of trauma, but um, it will also uh, motivate you to make a podcast? Question mark? This podcast is also brought to you by CheesyCheese.com. The one store where you can find all of the cheesy cheeses you need for your cheesy cheese flavor evening with the cheesy cheese chips. Go and buy. This podcast is brought to you by long-distance relationships. Long-distance relationships between Europeans and Africans. Sometimes they work, must be nice, and sometimes they... Uh, uh, do not work. Shout out French Fiasco. This podcast was brought to you by Tapwater. Tapwater brought to a bottle near you. This podcast was also brought to you by Colonization. <laughs> colonization! You thought it was over, but it's still happening. This podcast was brought to you by Dating Pablo. Dating Pablo, the only real Pablo experience. <laughs> so forget Picasso, the real Pablo. It is. It is the real Pablo. <laughs> That concludes the first half of the chat with Dennis, the nonsensical part. In a fortnight, we'll bring you the deliberation spot, where Dennis and I will tackle the topic in hopefully a more serious way, but we'll probably must up a bunch of tangents. Until then, hope you enjoyed listening, and as usual, you can contact us on nonsensicald at gmail.com. That's the word nonsensical, followed by the letter d at gmail.com. Remember, keep them uh, mostly sanitary because we are likely to read them out on the episode. Feedback, um, things to share, we are still open to a bunch of different kind of emails. And yeah, if you think you would make a good guest on the show, you can also email us there. Thank you for listening and uh, drink your tap water. So I'm going to try that again, okay? The hosts are fictional and they are only interested in nonsensical deliberations. Deliberations. <laughs> you didn't say it. You didn't say it in time. But I will just adjust your audio. Yeah, you can to... move it half a second forward. <laughs> <laughs> Here you go again. Deliberations. 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 Pick one.